Section 5 of Thrift. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask. Thrift by Samuel Smiles. Means of Saving, Part 2. It is difficult to account for the waste and extravagance of working people it must be the hereditary remnant of the original savage it must be a survival the savage feasts and drinks until everything is gone and then he hunts or goes to war or it may be the survival of slavery in the state slavery was one of the first human institutions the strong man made the weak man work for him the warlike race subdued the less warlike race and made them their slaves thus slavery existed from the earliest times in greece and rome the writing was done by freemen the labor by helots and bondsmen but slavery also existed in the family the wife was the slave of her husband as much as the slave whom he bought in the public market slavery long existed among ourselves it existed when caesar lauded it existed in saxon times when the household work was done by slaves the saxons were notorious slave dealers and the irish were their best customers the principal mart was at bristol from whence the saxons exported large numbers of slaves into ireland so that according to irish historians there was scarcely a house in Ireland without a British slave in it. When the Normans took possession of England, they continued slavery. They made slaves of the Saxons themselves, whom they decreed villains and bondsmen. Domesday Book shows that the toll of the market at Lewes in Sussex was a penny for a cow and four pence for a slave, not a serf, at Scriptus Glabae, but an unconditional bondsman. From that time slavery continued in various forms. It is recorded of the good old times that it was not till the reign of Henry IV, 1320 to 1413, that villains, farmers, and mechanics were permitted by law to put their children to school, and long after that they dared not educate a son for the church without a license from the Lord the kings of england in their contests with the feudal aristocracy gradually relaxed the slave laws they granted charters founding royal burghs and when the slaves fled into them and were able to conceal themselves for a year and a day they then became freemen of the burgh and were declared by law to be free footnote one henry's history of england book five chapter four the last serfs in england were emancipated in the reign of queen elizabeth but the last serfs in scotland were not emancipated until the reign of george the third at the end of the last century before then the colliers and salters belonged to the soil they were bought and sold with it they had no power to determine what their wages should be like the slaves in the southern states of america they merely accepted such sustenance as was sufficient to maintain their muscles and sinews in working order they were never required to save for any purpose 
for they had no right to their own savings they did not need to provide for tomorrow their masters provided for them the habit of improvidence was thus formed and it still continues the scotch colliers who were recently earning from ten to fourteen shillings a day are the grandsons of men who were slaves down to the end of the last century the preamble of an act passed in seventeen ninety nine thirty ninth george third runs as follows whereas before the passing of an act of the fifteenth of his present majesty many declared to be free notwithstanding which many colliers and coal-bearers and salters still continue in a state of bondage from not having complied with the provisions or from having been subject to the penalties of that act etc the new act then proceeds to declare them free from servitude the slaves formerly earned only enough to keep them and laid by nothing whatever for the future hence we say that the improvidence of the colliers as of the iron workers is but a survival of the system of slavery in our political constitution matters have now become entirely different the workman no matter what his trade is comparatively free the only slavery from which he suffers is his passion for drink in this respect he still resembles the esquimaux and the north american indians would he be really free then he must exercise the powers of a free responsible man he must exercise self-control and self-constraint and sacrifice present personal gratifications for prospective enjoyments of a much higher kind it is only by self-respect and self-control that the position of the workman can be really elevated the working man is now more of a citizen than he ever was before he is a recognized power and has been admitted within the pale of the constitution for him mechanics institutes newspapers benefit societies and all the modern agencies of civilization exist in abundance he is admitted to the domain of intellect and from time to time great thinkers artists engineers philosophers and poets rise up from his order to proclaim that intellect is of no rank and nobility of no exclusive order the influences of civilization are rousing society to its depths and daily evidences are furnished of the rise of the industrious classes to a position of social power discontent may and does exhibit itself but discontent is only the necessary condition of improvement for a man will not be stimulated to rise up into a higher condition unless he be first made dissatisfied with the lower condition out of which he has to rise to be satisfied is to repose while to be rationally dissatisfied is to contrive to work and to act with an eye to future advancement the working classes very much underestimate themselves though they receive salaries or wages beyond the average earnings of professional men yet many of them have no other thought than that of living in mean houses and spending their surplus time and money in drink they seem wanting in respect for themselves as well as for their class they encourage the notion that there is something degrading in labor than which nothing can be more false 
labor of all kinds is dignifying and honorable it is the idler above all others who is undignified and dishonorable let the working man says mr sterling try to connect his daily task however mean with the highest thoughts he can apprehend and he thereby secures the rightfulness of his lot and is raising his existence to his utmost good it is because the working man has failed to do this and because others have failed to help him as they ought that the lot of labor has hitherto been associated with what is mean and degrading with respect to remuneration the average of skilled mechanics and artisans as we have already said are better paid than the average of working curates the working engineer is better paid than the ensign in a marching regiment the foreman in any of our large engineering establishments is better paid than an army surgeon the rail roller receives over a guinea a day while an assistant navy surgeon receives fourteen shillings and after three years service twenty-one shillings with rations the majority of dissenting ministers are much worse paid than the better classes of skilled mechanics and artisans and the average of clerks employed in counting-houses and warehouses receive wages very much lower skilled workmen might and if they had the will they would occupy a social position as high as the educated classes we refer to what prevents them rising merely because they will not use their leisure to cultivate their minds they have sufficient money it is culture that they want they ought to know that the position of men in society does not depend so much upon their earnings as upon their character and intelligence and it is because they neglect their abundant opportunities because they are thriftless and spend their earnings in animal enjoyments because they refuse to cultivate the highest parts of their nature that they are excluded or rather self-excluded from those social and other privileges in which they are entitled to take part notwithstanding their high wages they for the most part cling to the dress the language and the manners of their class they appear during their leisure hours in filthy dresses and unwashed hands no matter how skilled the workman may be he is ready to sink his mind and character to the lowest level of his co-workers even the extra money which he earns by his greater skill often contributes to demoralize and degrade him and yet he might dress as well live as well and be surrounded by the physical comforts and intellectual luxuries of professional men but no from week to week his earnings are wasted he does not save a farthing he is a public-house victim and when work becomes slack and his body becomes diseased his only refuge is the workhouse how are these enormous evils to be cured some say by better education others by moral and religious instruction others by better homes and better wives and mothers all these influences will doubtless contribute much towards the improvement of the people one thing is perfectly clear that an immense amount of ignorance prevails and that such ignorance must be dissipated before the lower classes can be elevated their whole character must be changed and they must be taught in early life habits of forecast and self-control 
we often hear that knowledge is power but we never hear that ignorance is power and yet ignorance has always had more power in the world than knowledge ignorance dominates it is because of the evil propensities of men that the costly repressive institutions of modern governments exist ignorance arms men against each other provides goals and penitentiaries police and constabulary all the physical force of the state is provided by ignorance is required by ignorance is very often wielded by ignorance we may well avow then that ignorance is power ignorance is powerful because knowledge as yet has obtained access only to the minds of the few let knowledge become more generally diffused let the multitude become educated thoughtful and wise and then knowledge may obtain the ascendancy over ignorance but that time has not yet arrived look into the records of crime and you will find that for one man possessed of wisdom and knowledge who commits a crime there are a hundred ignorant or into the statistics of drunkenness and improvidence of all sorts still ignorance is predominant or into the annals of pauperism there again ignorance is power the principal causes of anxiety in this country are the social suffering and disease which proceed from ignorance to mitigate these we form associations organize societies spend money and labor in committees but the power of ignorance is too great for us we almost despair while we work we feel that much of our effort is wasted we are often ready to give up in dismay and recoil from our encounter with the powers of evil how forcible are right words exclaimed job yes but with equal justice he might have said how forcible are wrong words the wrong words have more power with ignorant minds than the right words they fit themselves into wrong heads and prejudiced heads and empty heads and have power over them the right words have often no meaning for them any more than if they were the words of some dead language the wise man's thoughts do not reach the multitude but fly over their heads only the few as yet apprehend them the physiologist may discuss the laws of health and the board of health may write tracts for circulation among the people but half the people cannot so much as read and of the remaining half but a very small portion are in the habit of thinking thus the laws of health are disregarded and when fever comes it finds a wide field to work upon in undrained and filthy streets and backyards noisome pestilential districts foul uncleansed dwellings large populations ill supplied with clean water and with pure air their death makes fell havoc many destitute widows and children have to be maintained out of the poor's rates and then we reluctantly confess to ourselves that ignorance is power the only method of abating this power of ignorance is by increasing that of knowledge as the sun goes up the sky the darkness disappears and the owl the bat and the beasts of prey slink out of sight give the people knowledge give them better education and thus crime will be abated drunkenness improvidence lawlessness and all the powers of evil will to a certain extent disappear footnote one 
the recent reports of mr tremon here to the secretary of state for the home department with respect to the condition of the population in the iron and coal districts show that he places considerable reliance upon the effect of education the evidence which he brought together from all parts of the country shows that increase of immorality with the increase of wages was attributed to the low tastes and desires of the people that the obstinate refusal of the men to exert more than two-thirds of their fair powers of work by which the cost of production is largely enhanced capital crippled and the public mulcted was due to the same cause that their readiness to become the prey of unionists and agitators is traceable to their want of the most elementary principles of thought that most of the accidents which are of weekly occurrence are occasioned by their stupidity and ignorance that wherever they have advanced in intelligence they have become more skillful more subordinate and more industrious these facts have convinced the more thoughtful and far-sighted masters that the only sure means of maintaining their ground under increasing foreign competition and averting a social crisis is to reform the character of the rising generation of operatives by education and of footnote one it must however be admitted that education is not enough the clever man may be a clever rogue and the cleverer he is the cleverer rogue he will be education therefore must be based upon religion and morality for education by itself will not eradicate vicious propensities culture of intellect has but little effect upon moral conduct you may see clever educated literary men with no conduct whatever wasteful improvident drunken and vicious it follows therefore that education must be based upon the principles of religion and morality nor has the poverty of the people so much to do with their social degradation as is commonly supposed the question is essentially a moral one if the income of the laboring community could be suddenly doubled their happiness will not necessarily be increased for happiness does not consist in money in fact the increased wages might probably prove a curse instead of a blessing in the case of many there would be an increased consumption of drink with the usual results an increase in drunken violence and probably an increase in crime the late mr clay chaplain of the preston house of correction after characterizing drunkenness as the great sin proceeds it still rises in savage hostility against everything allied to order and religion it still barricades every avenue by which truth and peace seek to enter the poor man's home and heart whatever may be the predominant cause of crime it is very clear that ignorance religious ignorance is the chief ingredient in the character of the criminal this combines with the passion for liquor and offenses numberless are engendered by the union the late sir arthur helps when speaking of high and low wages and of the means of getting and spending money thus expresses himself on the subject in his friends in council my own conviction is that throughout england every year there is sufficient wages given even at the present low rate to make the condition of the laboring poor quite different from what it is 
but then these wages must be well spent i do not mean that the poor could of themselves alone effect this change but were they seconded by the advice the instruction and the aid not given in money or only in money lent to produce the current interest of the day of the classes above them the rest the poor might accomplish for themselves and indeed all that the rich could do to elevate the poor could hardly equal the advantage that would be gained by the poor themselves if they could thoroughly subdue that one vice of drunkenness the most wasteful of all the vices in the living of the poor as indeed of all of us there are two things to be considered how to get money and how to spend it now i believe the experience of employers will bear me out in saying that it is frequently found that the man with twenty shillings a week does not live more comfortably or save more than the man with fourteen shillings the families of the two men being the same in number and general circumstances it is probable that unless he have a good deal of prudence and thought the man who gets at all more than the average of his class does not know what to do with it or only finds in a means superior to that which his fellows possess of satisfying his appetite for drinking notwithstanding however the discouraging circumstances to which we have referred we must believe that in course of time as men's nature becomes improved by education secular moral and religious they may be induced to make a better use of their means by considerations of prudence forethought and parental responsibility a german writer speaks of the education given to a child as a capital equivalent to a store of money placed at its disposal by the parent the child when grown to manhood may employ the education as he might employ the money badly but that is no argument against the possession of either of course the value of education as of money chiefly consists in its proper use and one of the advantages of knowledge is that the very acquisition of it tends to increase the capability of using it aright which is certainly not the case with the accumulation of money education however obtained is always an advantage to a man even as a means of material advancement it is worthy of being sought after not to speak of its moral uses as an elevator of character and intelligence and if as dr lyon playfair insists the composition between industrial nations must before long become a competition mainly of intelligence it is obvious that england must make better provision for the education of its industrial classes or be prepared to fall behind in the industrial progress of nations it would be of little avail said dr brewster of edinburgh to the peace and happiness of society if the great truths of the material world were confined to the educated and the wise the organization of science thus limited would cease to be a blessing knowledge secular and knowledge divine the double current of the intellectual life-blood of a man must not merely descend through the great arteries of the social frame it must be taken up by the minutest capillaries before it can nourish and purify society knowledge is at once the manna 
and medicine of our moral being where crime is the bane knowledge is the antidote society may escape from the pestilence and may survive the famine but the demon of ignorance with his grim adjutants of vice and riot will pursue her into her most peaceful haunts destroying our institutions and converting into a wilderness the paradise of social and domestic life the state has therefore a great duty to perform as it punishes crime it is bound to prevent it as it subjects us to laws it must teach us to read them and while it thus teaches it must teach also the ennobling truths which display the power and wisdom of the great lawgiver thus diffusing knowledge while it is extending education and thus making men contented and happy and humble while it makes them quiet and obedient subjects a beginning has already been made with public school education much still remains to be done to establish the system throughout the empire at present we are unable to judge of the effects of what has been done but if general education accomplish as much for england as it has already accomplished for germany the character of this country will be immensely improved during the next twenty years education has almost banished drunkenness from germany and had england no drunkenness no thriftlessness no reckless multiplication our societal miseries would be comparatively trivial we must therefore believe that as intelligence extends amongst the working class and as a better moral tone pervades them there will be a rapid improvement in their sober thrifty and provident habits for these form the firmest and surest foundations for social advancement there is a growing desire on the part of the more advanced minds in society to see the working men take up their right position they who do society's work who produce under the direction of the most intelligent of their number the wealth of the nation are entitled to a much higher place than they have yet assumed we believe in this good time coming for working men and women when an atmosphere of intelligence shall pervade them when they will prove themselves as enlightened polite and independent as the other classes of society and as the first and surest step towards this consummation we counsel them to provide to provide for the future as well as for the present to provide in times of youth and plenty against the times of adversity misfortune and old age if any one intends to improve his condition said the late william felkin mayor of nottingham himself originally a working man he must earn all he can spend as little as he can and make what he does spend bring him and his family all the real enjoyment he can the first saving which a working man makes out of his earnings is the first step and because it is the first the most important step towards the true independence now independence is as practicable in the case of an industrious and economic though originally poor workman as in that of the tradesman or merchant and is as great and estimable a blessing the same process must be attended to that is the entire expenditure being kept below the clear income 
all contingent claims being carefully considered and provided for and the surplus held sacred to be employed for those purposes and those only which duty or conscience may point out as important or desirable this requires a course of laborious exertion and strict economy a little foresight and possibly some privation but this is only what is common to all desirable objects and inasmuch as i know what is to labor with the hands long hours and for small wages as well as any workman to whom i address myself and to practice self-denial withal i am emboldened to declare from experience that the gain of independence or rather self-dependence for which i plead is worth infinitely more than all the cost of its attainment and moreover that to attain it in a greater or less degree according to circumstances is within the power of by far the greater number of skilled workmen engaged in our manufactories end of section five read by lawrence trask mount vernon ohio